episode 19 of Speaking the Truth with your host, Anthony Brown. Speaking the Truth is brought to you by Associates Life Coaching and Counseling. If you're feeling blue and don't know what to do, call Anthony Brown and he will help you. Go to www.associateslifecoachingandcounseling.com or call 281-545-5003. So this week is the Pillow Talk episode of Speaking the Truth, where uh, every um, every four weeks I'm going to uh, talk to a specialist and we will talk about sexual health. Uh, that seems to be uh, a topic that America is, um, I guess, in love with. So uh, I want to talk about uh, sexual responsibility, and later on I'll be uh, this episode I'll be interviewing. Um, a person that specializes in that area. But first, let's talk about some things that's been going on. So, fr- last week was the day, the sad day that we found out that Bill Cosby was uh, found guilty in the uh, in the aggregated sexual assault uh, trial. So, um, all of this started in 2015. There were three class two felony charges of aggravated indecent assault. They were filed against Cosby in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, based on allegations of of constant concerning incidents in January 2004. Cosby first trial in June 17 ended in a mistrial. In his retrial by jury, he was found guilty of three counts, and that was uh, the other day on the 26. Um, Cosby has been the subject of highly publicized sexual assault allegations. The earliest incident allegedly took place in the mid-1960s. Numerous women have accused Cosby of rape, drug-facilitated sexual assault and sexual battery, child sexual abuse, and sexual misconduct. Assault allegations against Cosby became more public after comedian Hannibal Burry's October 2014 comedy routine that alluded to Cosby convert Covert sexual misbehavior went viral. Many additional claims were made after that date. The date of the alleged incident spanned from 1965 to 2008 across 10 U.S. states and one Canadian province. Cosby has repeatedly denied the allegations and maintained his innocence. In November 2014, he responded to a question about the allegations and said, I don't talk about it. In past interviews that were made public, Cosby declined to discuss the accusations. However, he told Florida today people shouldn't have to go through that and shouldn't have to, to answer to innuendos. In May 2015, he said, I have been in business for 52 years and I have never seen anything like this. Reality is a situation I can't speak. In the wake of the allegations, numerous organizations have severed ties with Cosby and previously awarded honors and titles have been revoked. Reruns of the Cosby Show and other shows featuring Cosby have been pulled from syndication by many organizations. 25 colleges and universities have rescinded his honorary degrees. In an attempt to explain the backlash against Cosby, AgWeek reporter Jason Lynch noted that the media landscape has changed considerably and has, no, has now been joined by the far less forgiving social media arena. Due to delay in reporting the crimes, most of the alleged acts 
fall outside the statute of limitations for criminal prosecution. But criminal charges have been filed against Cosby in one case, and numerous civil lawsuits have been brought against him. As of November 2015, eight related civil lawsuits are active against Cosby. High-profile attorney Gloria Alfred is representing 33 of the alleged victims. In 2015, some of the court records from Andrea Constance's 2015 civil lawsuit against Cosby were unsealed and released to the public. The full transcript of his disposition was also released in the media by a court reporting service. In this testimony, Cosby admitted to casual sex involving recreational use of sedative uh, methacholine, which is called qualus also, with a series of young women and acknowledged that his dispensing the prescription drug was illegal. Now, in that particular deposition, he was promised that that information would not, um, would not, um, he would not be prosecuted based on the information, but ironically, that was the information that was used in this trial uh, to prosecute him, and I'm, I'm sure that they would use that in appeal. Um, now, looking back to uh, people who probably doubted uh, the facts of the case, it's probably brought up about the Autumn Jackson trial. During Autumn Jackson extortion trial in July 19, 1997, Cosby testified that he made private payments to Sean Upshaw, a woman who had briefly been his lover in Las Vegas during the early 1970s. Upshaw told Cosby that he was the father of her daughter, Autumn Jackson. Cosby denies being the father and said that he gave Upshaw a total of about $100,000 because he did not want her to publicly reveal the affair. The then 22-year-old Autumn Jackson was sentenced to 26 months in jail for trying to extort uh, $40 million of U.S. dollars from Cosby. In the trial and subsequent appeal, the courts held that Jackson's belief that she was Cosby's child, even if sincere, was irrelevant to the question of her guilt. The court stated that the mere fact that she was Cosby's child would not have entitled her to $40 million she demanded, and therefore the demand was extortionate whether or not she believed herself to Cosby's, was Cosby's daughter or not. Although both Jackson and Cosby stated at various times that they were willing to undergo DNA testing to determine Jackson's paternity, the two sides have never reached an agreement as to when and how to perform the test. After Jackson's conviction, Cosby provided a blood sample for testing, but Jackson refused to participate. So that's a little bit about someone who was revered as American uh, father. Uh, it's his, he has produced many great shows, The Cosby Show being one, Fat Arab being another, and a lot of other shows like I Spy and things of that nature. So it's very, it's a very sad day that uh, Dr. Bill Cosby, who has a doctor education, that his great works would be removed from the media, and that uh, our children and our children's children probably won't have the uh, ability to uh, to uh, to experience these uh, great shows of his because of. His guilt, I was really hoping that there was going to be some type of evidence to show his innocence, and this was a sad day for me to reveal that uh, this great man had a very uh, perverted side uh, that will cause him, and I shouldn't call it a perverted side, but very um, 
untraditional fetish that would cause him to be jailed at the age of 80. According to uh, CNN, um, comedian Michelle Wolf on the White House Correspondents' Dinner on Saturday, uh, which was last night, uh, she savagely took down everyone from President Donald Trump to his White House press secretary, Sarah Sanders. And it will be the talk of Saturday night's White House Correspondents' Dinner in Washington. Some, uh, mostly on the left, saw it as a speak truth of, to power moment. And... Um, Others um, others on the right uh, thought it as a vile, hate-filled address that was neither funny nor appropriate. Now, the organizer of the White House correspondence said that they really tried to make a, uh, um, a moment, uh, make the White House correspondence dinner a very mending of the right and left a very uh where they celebrated uh the first amendment but one that people from the white and the, the right and the left could um uh, could um find bridges uh amongst amongst them however one thing they don't do is to uh try to to tell the comedian what they can talk about, they don't even listen to their notes or the rehearsal prior to it. So they really believe in the First Amendment right. So even though her 15-minute speech uh, really made uh, took that away, it was it was they they felt that it was a shame that of the whole dinner or the whole program, 15 minutes of her speech was something that kind of uh, brought the decipher brought back decisiveness dinner like a porn star says when she's about to have sex with a trump let's get this over with <laughs> yep kiddos this is who you're getting tonight i'm gonna skip it a lot of the normal pleasantries we're at a hilton it's not nice this is on c-span no one watches that trump is president it's not ideal White House Correspondents Association, thank you for having me. The monkfish was fine. <laughs> and just a reminder to everyone, I'm here to make jokes. I have no agenda. I'm not trying to get anything accomplished. So everyone that's here from Congress, you should feel right at home. <laughs> too far a little bit about me a lot of you might not know who I am I'm 32 years old which is an odd age 10 years too young to host this event and 20 years too old for Roy Moore <laughs> I know he almost got elected yeah it was fun it was fun thought I'd be a comedian, but I did take an aptitude test in seventh grade, and this is 100% true. I took an aptitude test in seventh grade, and it said my best profession was a clown or a mime. <laughs> now, there is a lot to cover tonight. 
tonight. There's a lot to go over. I can't get to everything. I know there's a lot of people that want me to talk about Russia and Putin and collusion, but I'm not going to do that because there's also a lot of liberal media here. And I've never really wanted to know what any of you look like when you orgasm. <laughs> like this. Okay, that's all the time we have. It is kind of it is kind of crazy that the Trump campaign was in contact with Russia when the Hillary campaign wasn't even in contact with Michigan. It's a direct flight. It's so close. noticed he's not here and I know I know I would drag him here myself but it turns out the president of the United States is the one you're not allowed to grab he said it first yeah he did you remember good now I know people really want me to go after Trump tonight but I think we should give the president credit when he deserves it like he pulled out of the Paris Agreement. And I think he should get credit for that because he said he was going to pull out and then he did and that's a refreshing quality in a man. <laughs> Most men are like, I forgot. I'll get you next time. Oh, there's going to be a next time? When people say romance is dead. <laughs> the time. And look, I could call Trump a racist or a misogynist or xenophobic or unstable or incompetent or impotent, but he's heard all of those and he doesn't care. So tonight, I'm going to try to make fun of the president in a new way, in a way that I think will really get him. Mr. President, I don't think you're very rich. <laughs> in Idaho, but in New York, you're doing fine. <laughs> Trump is the only person that still watches who wants to be a millionaire and thinks, me. <laughs> Although I'm not sure you'd get very far. He'd get to like the third question and be like, I have to phone a fox and friend. <laughs> We're going to try a fun new thing, okay? I'm going to say Trump is so broke, and you guys go, how broke is he? All right? Trump is so broke, he has to fly failed business class. <laughs> Trump is so broke, he looked for foreign oil in Don Jr.'s hair. Trump is so broke, he, he, Southwest used him as one of their engines. I know, it's so soon. It's so soon for that joke. Why did she tell it? It's so soon. Trump is so broke. Uh, he had to borrow money from the Russians, and now he's compromised and not susceptible to blackmail and possibly responsible for the collapse of the republic. Yay! It's a fun game. Trump is racist, though. He loves white nationalists which is a weird term for a Nazi. Calling a Nazi a white nationalist is like calling a pedophile a kid friend. Or Harvey Weinstein a ladies' man. 
which isn't really fair. He also likes plants. <laughs> Trump's also an idea guy. He's got loads of ideas. You gotta love him for that. He wants to give teachers guns, and I support that, because then they can sell them for things they need, like supplies. <laughs> A lot of protractors. A lot of people want Trump to be impeached. I do not, because just when you think Trump is awful, you remember Mike Pence. Mike Pence is what happens when Anderson Cooper isn't gay. brushes his teeth and then drinks orange juice and thinks, mmm. <laughs> Mike Pence is also very anti-choice. He thinks abortion is murder, which first of all, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> and when you do try it, really knock it. You know, you gotta get that baby out of there. And yeah, sure, you can groan all you want. I know a lot of you are very anti-abortion, you know, unless it's the one you got for your secret mistress. It's fun how values can waver, but good for you. Mike Pence is a weirdo, though. He's a weird little guy. He might, he won't meet with other women without his wife present. When people first heard this, they were like, that's crazy. But now in this current climate, they're like, that's a good witness. <laughs> Which of course brings me to the Me Too movement. It's probably the reason I'm here. They were like, a woman's probably not gonna jerk off in front of anyone, right? And to that I say, don't count your chickens. There's a lot of parties. Of course we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We are graced with Sarah's presence tonight. I have to say, I'm a little starstruck. I love you as Aunt Lydia on The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Mike, Mike Pence, if you haven't seen it, you would love it. <laughs> Every time Sarah steps up to the podium, I get excited because I'm not really sure what we're gonna get. You know, a press briefing, a bunch of lies, or divided into softball teams. <laughs> it's shirts and skins, and this time don't be such a little bitch, Jim Acosta. <laughs> I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like, she burns facts, and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. <laughs> Like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. <laughs> and I'm never really sure what to call Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, is it Sarah Sanders? Is it Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Is it Cousin Huckabee? Is it Auntie Huckabee Sanders? Like, what's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? Oh, uh, I know, Aunt Coulter. <laughs> So there you have it. She really, really came after Sarah Huckabee Sanders. But, and a lot of people think she's probably hit below the belt in her uh, uh, comedic routine. However, when you're dealing with uh, comedy, everyone is a victim. And with comedy, you can go as low as you want. It's comedy.
So earlier I mentioned that uh, I will be covering sexual health uh, in this episode, and today I have a a uh, sexpert with me. Um, uh, so I would like to introduce you to Adonis. What's going on, everybody? Um, I am Adonis. I am. So, what's the information you want to know about me? Just where I'm from, or my message? Just whatever you want to know. Get, want the listeners to know about you, about where you're from, uh, what do you do, and things of that nature. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, I am a born and bred Houstonian. Um, I come from a dual parent household with my parents and my biological parents still being married. My mother is from Dallas, Texas. My father is from Lagos, Nigeria. Um, of course, like I said before, I am. Born and bred in Houston, Texas. I'm a proud product of Prairie University because it produces productive people. Um, there I got my, <clears throat> excuse me, my BA in mass communications. And while pursuing my BA, I got, I found a love for public health, infectious disease. So I was volunteering um, in nonprofit dealing with infectious diseases for its HIV awareness education. And I end up getting stuck and pigeonholed in this field. So I've been in this field for uh, about 14 years now, and I currently work in internal medicine. So in the uh, HIV uh, education field, uh, am I saying it correctly? Yes. Okay. In that field, uh, what are some things that, what, how is it rewarding to you? Oh, my God. Okay, so the reason why it's a reward to me, and let me go ahead and share a little more personal information. Um, growing up, I had a cousin who had an AIDS diagnosis. And let me let me provide some knowledge on this right now. So an uh, AIDS diagnosis is anyone who has a T-cell count 200 or below. So there's no such thing as an AIDS test. There's no such thing as um, someone having, quote-unquote, full-blown AIDS. AIDS is only a, a medical diagnosis that can be diagnosed to you from a medical doctor, um, a doctor of medicine. And the reason why they say AIDS diagnosis is because people who have a quote-unquote AIDS diagnosis are basically known as having a really, really, really sensitive immune system, so to speak. So that means anytime you go to the emergency room and you have an AIDS diagnosis, it's that they can treat you first. So they can treat you first. So, um, but anyway, so with that, I had a cousin who contracted um, HIV from her uncle on the opposite side of the family. He was in, incarcerated, and he raped my cousin, and she, well, he transmitted HIV to her. So HIV has always been around me. I remember, um, not telling my age, but I can tell you I'm a proud millennial, Um I remember being around 1989 and 1990, how my family would react, and they said to my cousin, oh, well, don't touch her. She has AIDS, or don't eat anything after her, and she has AIDS. And rightfully, rightfully so, not saying that it was right, but we do live in reality. And I can um, kind, of re- kind of relate to that. Uh, I have uh, a brother that has passed on that... Uh, Pass on to the same disease, complication for for AIDS, and I remember it was during a time where there, we didn't know a lot about the disease, uh, in because uh, he passed away in 1989, and I remember the the fear of 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 my mom 
cleaning dishes, washing dishes and bleach and things of that nature so that no one else could become ill because it, it, she just didn't know. Uh, it was a lot of unknown and a lot of fear behind it. So washing dishes and bleach though. <laughs> right, but it but it was protecting him more it was protecting him more than it was protecting us. So I remember that vividly and I and I and I understand the fear around that. I can relate to that. Exactly. So um and I was a kid then but I remember some about that just didn't seem right to me. So um it's so it's just to say that it's always been a part of my life. And with it, my cousin, she birthed children before the, the medicine was pr- produced, AZT, to skip the parent, well, skip the children in the next generation. So I had, I have two cousins who were born with AIDS diagnosis at that time. And they're still, they're both still alive and they are functioning well. As physically, that is not emotionally and socially. That's a whole different thing, but that's outside of the realm. Now, from my understanding, I've read uh, a lot that children that are born with uh, something about the children that are born with HIV, uh, they're born with HIV positive, that they have more of a, a healthy prognosis. Is that is that is that correct? So, in regards to children being born HIV positive, the thing is. Any child that's born still shares the same immune system as the parent. So that's another reason why kids may be born with HIV and no longer have HIV, because when you have the certain medicines that are distributed and disseminated to you, you're able to fight off the virus because the child is then forming their own immune system. But that only works is if the parent and the mother, um, so to speak, is undetectable as well as in care and she's adhering to her regimen. Okay, so so you're saying that if a mother, while she's expecting for the baby, expecting the baby, she's she's taking her medicine correctly, and the child can possibly be born without the disease? Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is that the child may be born with the HIV virus. However, the only reason why all of us or or anyone is born, we still share the same immune system as our mother. After a course of time, and you i get the information to you when it changes, but we develop our own immune system. And if you, right, so when you are able to disseminate that medication early enough, the baby has now a fighting chance and a good probability of forming their own immune system without being HIV positive. Okay. Now, um, when I was in high school, and I'm a, a probably... Old enough to not quite old enough to be your father, but old enough to be your 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 big brother, your very very, very big brother. Did you finish high, what year did you finish? High I'm not telling that. Okay. However, <laughs> <laughs> however, um, when I took health in high school, it was prior to the uh, HIV crisis. The HIV crisis probably. Well, actually, I take that back. When I was in high school, and you probably figure out how I meant by, by me telling telling the, the time frame, it was looked at the it, the HIV crisis started during that particular time, oh, okay. and uh, they didn't know what it was. It was mostly white men getting the disease. They treated. I was a volunteer at MD Anderson Hospital, and and I was in a blood and urine clinic, okay. and and that's when they would start testing white men 
uh, for the disease, and they were treating it like cancer, and they didn't know what it was at that particular time. I remember that vividly. That was that was diagnosis. Well, they were calling it grid back then. Right. So this was in the early eighties. Gay man's cancer. Right. So so this was in the early eighties. Uh, so 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 I, I just go ahead. I finished high school in nineteen eighty seven. You know. So anyway, uh, whatever. <laughs> anyway. I respect experience and knowledge regardless of who it's attached to. I'm a man of a certain age. Okay. So. You're seasoned. Seasoned. But I still look good. There you go. Right, right. Black do not crack when you take care of so, so, anyway, um, um, when we took health in high school, we were not talking about um, uh, HIV AIDS because they didn't know what it was. However, I remember. Them talking about condoms. I remember them talking about uh, all kind of uh, venereal diseases. And after that particular time, they forced schools to really talk about abstinence. And then schools start teaching abstinence. And I think they've kind of got out of because at that time they probably giving condoms out in high school. So they kind of made a, a shift. Um. Okay. So that's interesting. So let me just backtrack a little bit. Um. So I guess I'm just a little younger than you. <laughs> but um, the reason why I say that, because I graduated from high school within the mid-2000s, and they were still preaching that same method, abstinence. And the thing is, in regards to that, the reason why it's problematic to me is that, um, but I got to make sure, do I stay PG-13 on your podcast? I can say whatever. Okay, so basically in high school, and my mother and I are 19 years apart, so... People are fucking in high school or right after high school. So the abstinence method, we're in a new day, new dawn, um, a new age. Like, we cannot continue to push the narrative. Because even before I graduated, when I was in middle school and in high school, they were still preaching abstinence, abstinence. And um, not saying that's not a good option, but I like to live in a world where there's a difference between right and reality. The reality is that people are having sex. Right. Seniors are having sex. Right. So in the... And I will say this. Uh, I was... Uh, I'm Catholic. And and in the Catholic faith, sex is for married people. And and some even very conservative people think it's for pro- procreation only. But it's only for married people. And, and, and that condoms isn't used and birth control isn't used. But the reality is people are still having sex. So I was, after, after I was in my mid-20s, uh, I was an elder for a rights of pastors for boys. And we had uh, a sexual uh, health training from someone from uh, Windsor Village who was to teach these young men about sexual health. And they were talking about HIV AIDS. And this is amongst doing the AIDS crisis. And I was telling the father, the father who was who's a priest, that how are you going to talk about HIV AIDS and not talk about prevention? And when people are dying left and right, and he was saying because it was against the Catholic faith, and I said, well, you don't have to be there. It's 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 asinine to talk about HIV/AIDS, and this was probably 1994, 1995 to talk about HIV/AIDS and not talk about prevention or not talk about how you don't get it. And I just thought thought that was the craziest thing to me. So, needs to say, I, I was the next few weeks they, they put me out. <laughs> I was no longer an elder. 
it causes more harm, I think, to not talk about how you're going to prevent HIV/AIDS rather than rather than um, uh, because people are still going to have sex regardless regardless of what faith you are, whether you uh, Jewish, whether you uh, Catholic, Protestant, Islamic. People are still going to have sex outside of marriage. So let's talk about that. So uh, exactly. So let's talk about that. Um, with that information and what you said that sex is nothing new. And we are all products of sex. Um, unfortunately, living in the South, even though I'm a proud Houstonian, we're still below that Bible bed. And people feel so abstinence is the only way. However, we're still in a we're still we're still right now in an epidemic. And um the black people, the numbers are rising, whether it may be black gay men, black heterosexual women, black heterosexual men, our numbers are rising. Then psychology, I heard some psychologists, and, and, and uh, psychology is, is pretty much my field, but I heard some psychologists, and we were talking about we, uh, uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome. So part of po- so when you talk about post-traumatic slave syndrome, you talk about a people, a group of people who have been, been told most of life what they're going to do, and even after the civil rights movement, after slavery, we're still restricted when it comes to a lot of different things because of lack of education, the lack of being able to get the job, uh, the right job or not. So th- there was a topic we were having that part of the reason that we have an issue with HIV AIDS and things like that is because um, people receive most of their freedom through sexual through through the sexual uh sexual expression. What do you think about that? I I definitely agree a hundred percent. And with all of those things, because all those things are outside factor. Um let let's be real, real. Um and it's a done shout so I have to be real raw relevant. Um people are scared to contract HIV by fucking, but they're not scared to stop fucking. To accumulate it, right? So and I think we definitely need to have that conversation. First of all, we need to understand that sex is natural. That's how, like, once again, we're all products of unprotected sex. I said it's just as natural as drinking a cup of water. <laughs> <laughs> Even more natural. Um, but with that, I think that we have to, and as I stated, when I was graduating in the mid-2000s, they were still preaching to us abstinence. And they say, you know, wait to marriage to sex, but if you don't, here's condoms. They didn't teach us how to properly use a condom. And you can go to cdc.gov, and it can inform you that condoms are only 72% effective. And the reason why that is, right, right, the reason why that is because how many people effectively know how to properly put on a condom? Okay, so if the condom use is used properly, how effective is it when properly used? It said 80%. Then I thought it was 90-something. I'm sure, I'm sure you did. <laughs> and a lot of us did. And that's the thing, um, because knowledge is power. And not only is knowledge is power, knowledge is, I'm sorry, knowledge is only a power when you when it's applied. Okay. So if condoms is 80-something percent ineffective, is that through pregnancy or for STDs? Um, both. Okay, so what makes them ineffective? What would the other, If it's 80-something, what, what's the other 15 to 20% failure rate? What, 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 what's up with that? So what's up with it is basically, and you said I can be wrong. The reason is because a, a lot of individuals um, do not know how to put a condom on a dick, right? 
they assume from whatever they seen. Because in pornos, the pornos I watch, and I'm, re- I'm I'm 100% positive. The pornos I watch, I may see a 1% usage of condoms in there. And when it's on, it's already on. No one's showing you how to do it. And I think that people, well, what I know from my experience, that people have not showed us in health class. They told us, hey, here's the condoms. No one ever showed me how to use a condom effectively until I started volunteering working in this field. So that's the reason why they're not effective, because if you're not putting it on correctly, then you're possibly putting yourself more at risk because you putting it on however either your big brothers told you, your peers, who damn sure didn't know what the hell they was talking about, or you see movies. So a lot of us are going along to get along, but we don't have that education and a lot of all that awareness. So as a uh, sexual expert or a sexpert, or uh, <laughs> a sexual educator, what is your title? Uh, well, sexpert for that, but but that's, I guess that's the, a layman's term, sexpert. I like that. So um, how would you describe to the audience, because it could be someone that doesn't know, the proper way of putting on a condom? So let's, let's say this. We live in a world, we live in a small world, we all have smartphones in our hands. So with it, we have this tool called Google and YouTube. Now let me tell you something. YouTube is amazing. I learned how to cook a Thanksgiving turkey on YouTube, DIY. But YouTube is so amazing because it has all of that on there. And to make sure that you are effectively doing it, you need to Google a video how to effectively put on a condom. Now, with the female condoms, I know there's instruction on how to use those. And on the male condoms, since they're smaller, there may not be. But I was I advise everybody on YouTube, Google, to advise the proper way of putting on a condom. What's the success rate in female condoms? Is it is it higher or, or what? About the same? Well, the reason why it's higher, and I can give you that number on, that number on the next pillow talk, um, because female condoms are made out of polyurethane. And that's a stronger substance than latex. So they're basically similar to like the nuva ring. It's inserted inside the female's vagina and and the ring goes over the cervix. It's a lot stronger material. So the reason why it's higher because the material is stronger. However, you're you inserting something and putting it over the putting the ring inside of you is definitely more successful, right? Because it's less invasive as far of how you apply it. Okay, so what's the advantages other than the higher success rate in terms of pleasure of a male and female using a female condom versus a male condom? Well, okay, so the advantage is that polyurethane is a lot stronger, and the female condom can last up to eight hours inside of the vagina. So let's say, right, right. So if she wants to, she get rid of the friends, you know, highlighting the contour and putting all the bundles in, and she puts it in when she leaves the house before she goes out to the club. It's in there, and not promoting it, but once again, we don't live in the right world. We live in a reality world. And let's just say she either has a hookup after the club or... Um, God forbid that she's sexually assaulted, but it's already there. It's priced in place if she wanted to use it up to those eight hours. So the female condom is totally inside? It's nothing, none of it's outside? Right. It, it's it's all inserted inside. Now, of course, some is going to come outside of the lips where the man will insert his penis inside. But, yeah, it's internal for the female. And with that, the man does not have to use a condom once the female condom is presented. So it could possibly be more pleasure for the male for uh, 
Rather than a male condom. Yeah. They can definitely go in, as my big brother always said, naked head. So you go in there, <laughs> you free for all in there, um, you beat it up and you beat it up some more. And it's actually easier for cleanup because when you pull it out, you twist it out and you pull it. And this to all my brothers out there, take that female condom or that male condom with you. Because and this is my daddy. He told me, hold on, I gotta get his voice together. He said, Whatever you do, please take that condom with you because they were impregnated themselves. So with it, make sure you take that condom with you. Do not flush a condom down the toilet. And that's a whole nother situation. Cause I said preview, we're producer productive people. And that's a um plug in my HBCU. But um we couldn't have visitations because we were flushing the condoms down the toilet. My thing is Take it with you when you leave. Um, twist it up, tie it, in, not take it with you. Put it in your pocket, throw it away, whatever. But what you don't want to be is caught up in a situation to where, hey, um, because a lot of groupies do it to athletes and actors, things of nature, where they impregnate themselves with it. Um, you take it with you, and then that way you know one or two things that you know that you did not um, ejaculate inside of her. You impregnate in her, so you ain't got to worry about her hitting you up, saying, hey, I'm pregnant, or I need this amount for the abortion money. You take that with you, and then you throw away in the trash can. Please do not flush that down the Houston Public Works or anywhere where you at the um, plumbing system. That's good information, because I probably really messed up the uh, Houston Public Works with all the condoms <laughs> I flushed out of my toilet. And I'm really telling it off myself. So, um... And you must have went to the prairie during the time when they had the new dorms because no, Holly Hall and Fuller Hall, we didn't have no, we didn't have that problem. Let me tell you something. When I was at Prairie View, I was inside University College with y'all alumni dollars paid for that. So my friendship experience was me and one other person inside one room, and we had a bathroom. So we didn't have no hall where we had to go now. Okay, yeah, we had at Fuller. We had uh, three people to a room, and we shared a suite. So it was six people to one bathroom. So it was well, it was better than what my example of what an HBCU was when I looked at different world. Because I thought all of us were at the twenty or more individuals would be in the house sharing a restroom. So um, shout outs to the Prairie View alumni. And if you are not alumni, people who went to Prairie View, all y'all money went to build a university college and all of that. So no, we didn't have those issues. It was just me and one other person in the room. But how was that? Oh, never mind. Am I, I'm not going to. Okay, so how was that like when you was trying to get busy and things of nature in the room? Like how did that work with three people in the room? I would say this. I was on campus my freshman year, and by that, and by that, by the summer, I got my own apartment. Got oh wow, okay. I had a similar experience, and the only reason why because I was trying to, I was pledging at the time, I was trying to pledge. I was a freshman; they were trying to recruit me, um, so I was. Well, this my thing. I was fucking in my dorm room, at their dorm room, off campus, but. Um, but I bring all that back to say that we know that college kids have sex. Um, this is a testimony for two college college kids, former college kids, that we were having sex. And the issue needs to be brought back that we need to have effective education and updated education where we disseminate this information to our black youth. Because the only way we're going to build generational wealth, it cannot be limited to monetary nor physical emotional or mental, we definitely need to also make sure when we're building generational wealth, we're providing accurate information. We're giving our future the, the proper tools that they need and not 
trying to use our views or religion as a shield to force that upon them. So let's go back uh, briefly to uh, high school. We we talked about we talked because we went we went full circle. So so we, so we talked about that high school teaches abstinence and how that and so what are some how can that be harmful to teenagers? Okay. Numerous things because I remember going to health class and my teacher Miss Higgins, I don't know where she is, but shout out to Miss Higgins. Um she was teaching us about safe sex and condom usage and things of that nature. Um it w- it was solely abstinence, but this is my thing. Um and this was even in middle school. I just got through finishing my dick suck um under the bleachers in the bathroom and things of that nature. So and since abstinence was the only thing taught, no one informed us that you can contract gonorrhea or chlamydia or even syphilis by receiving head. You see what I'm saying? Um, and a lot of people don't know that. And the fact that we're not that forthcoming with the information that we disseminate does a disadvantage, especially in this day and time, with having everything at your access via at your hand, smartphone. So I, I think about not talking about a, a subject, and, and and I think it's particularly in the African American uh, community when you make some, you, when you create by not talking about a subject, you create something that makes something so taboo, and then when you make something ta- taboo, it makes it more curious, and that makes people teenagers want to have more sex, and therefore you have more perceiving next pregnancy. So if you make something taboo, people will abuse it. And and and, and how I'm, I guess where I'm coming from for this is that in Europe, sex isn't as taboo, and so isn't drink drinking like in Italy. Teenagers <clears throat> grow up drinking uh, with wine on the table, and and as a result of that, they don't have as much alcoholism that we do in the United States. So when you make something taboo, then it tends to be abusive. I agree with you 100%. Um, and like I said, I was already engaged in insects in middle school. So the information that I needed was not provided to me. I got to college, and of course, my parents, and do I love my parents, um, to infinity and beyond, and they still married. My parents never sat down with me and had that sex talk with me. Um, my father um, just basically said, he said, um, basically said that he just assumed that I was using condoms when I was having sex. Mind you, I became a father at 19. Right. So um, information that should have been, once again, disseminated to me wasn't. And it wasn't that I had a really in-depth understanding of what sexual health looked like until I went to the prominent Previatum University. <laughs> when we started, when we had outside entities come in and test us from the city of Houston and, and just basically broke it out in lamest terms, lamest terms, I'm sorry, without all the medical jargon about sex and things of that nature. And one thing about Previ, when I was on campus in the in the the, eight, the late 80s and the early 90s... Um, I wish I could have seen it, 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 I, just, I wish I would have really been there. It was a. It was the first part of the beautification of the campus because the campus was trash at one time, and it was an old president called A. I. Thomas who went who bypassed the uh, board of regents and went straight to Austin to legislators to get what they call puff money, and that was the beginning of the beautification, and that's when they built the Coleman Library and the, the dorms. Were, they still had the old dorms, but uh, but a lot of the beautification of the campus was built. But you still had the old student union at the, at, the, at that particular time before they built a new one. So so the campus was 
was was nice, but it's really really nice now. The last time I've been up there was probably three years ago, and I didn't recognize anything on campus. Right, let me tell you not like I left like back in 08. Like Preview is, and I'm not saying this because that's my HBCU, but Preview as far as black HBCUs is in the top three. Like the campus is immaculate. You know the there's an old classroom building to the left of the Coleman Library. That was the old library. If it's if they didn't tear that down yet, if it's, I forgot the name of the, the building, but but uh, but let's get you know what I'm talking. Right, I'm a model. So 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 uh, uh, I forgot what we were talking about. What were we talking about? We're preview that, but that lets you know it produced productive people. We're so proud in our school. Okay. So anyway, um, oh, this is what the point I was trying to make. I remember. So during those particular time, during that particular time when I was at preview. STDs was very high on Privy and m's camp. And they still are. Because it's in the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing to do uh, but, but to have sexual activity. I mean, not that they don't have have certain activities on campus, but but because uh, I think, and I'm sure they have it at Texas Southern as well, but they were known for having STDs because it's in the middle of nowhere. No, I, I know very few things that they have at Texas Southern University. Even though I'm living in, in the city of Houston, they we do offer certain activities to them. Um, but yeah, th- it was the same at Prairie View um, until the day that I left, um, graduating and walked across stage. It's the information once again regarding sex is not readily available as it should be. Okay, and hopefully that's different now. Uh, I know back then... The- we tried to have a HIV testing um, event there with some of the sororities, and because they're going through, quote-unquote, um, recent um, new administration, that was stopped. So I don't necessarily think that... I, I really don't think that they've really got a lot further than what they could have. Because I think the, the student, the, the the campus hospital or clinic, whatever you want to call it, should have should be been in the forefront of that. And you know what it is, but and that's another thing. Even though our tax dollars and fees pay for the student center, then it comes an issue of are they culturally competent enough, or do they have the proper training, and are they knowledgeable enough to know, hey, you're engaging in these behaviors, so you may need to go this route for safer sex practices. Oh, and because it's African-American school, then it's probably still kind of taboo on certain topics. It is, and unfortunately, and no disrespect to anybody, but how we're indoctrinated in the United States dealing with Christianity and religion and things of that nature, it definitely, and we and we feel as though that sex, I mean, I'm sorry, that sex is such a bad thing, and we have to go ahead and debunk that myth because... You know, I mean, my great grandmother said, "Don't be talking up under my clothes," and you know, a lot of people still got that notion that you shouldn't be speaking about sex until it's time that you have had holy matrimony. You wore your white pure dress, your ice white um, dress at the wedding, and things of that nature. But no, we're having sex prior to then, during then, and after we receive these degrees and. Until we get serious about those conversations, we're going to continuously have um, girls or couples drop out of college because they have 
because he impregnated her now that they have a child. So with that, we have to get more serious and we have to hold ourselves accountable to say, hey, it is not our fault that we have like high pregnancy rates, high, the fact that black people in the epidemic, the HIV epidemic, the numbers are still rising. No, it's not our fault, but it's damn sure our responsibility. So what does that look like? How do we tailor that? We need to start having these real conversations with our children. We need to make sure that we are at these PTA or PTO meetings and saying, hey, what does that sexual health education look like? Because if we do not, we're going to have, we're going to do our children a disservice, the same disservice that's been done to us. All right, so um, this is going to be a, a, a long series. I, this is going to have to be. A, we done already? Oh wow! Okay, I didn't know we was done. <laughs> okay, I didn't know we was done. Already. Um, done already. Go ahead. It's many things that we can talk about. I should have talked about it because we we just we just scraped the surface of what I want to talk about. We hadn't really. Talk to God. We just, we just basically put the head in. So we talking about pillow talk. We just put the head in, right? Wow, wow. <laughs> we just put the head in. We just lubed it up and put the head in. It, it's so many things that I want to talk about uh, in terms of the youth and, and a lot of things that a youth are doing. I think we may have enough, enough time to to cover that part briefly, okay. and then uh, <clears throat> uh, about a lot of practices that the youth are doing. Uh, uh, there are a lot of young ladies who want. Yeah, they want to hang on to their virginity. So they, I, you, I hear people who talk, who teach youth and dealing with youth, and they've heard. Problematic within itself because it just shows that we live in a misogynistic country. A patriarchy is real. There's no reason, and I'm not saying that. Um, anyone should just be willing. First of all, no, fuck that. I am saying that it's your body. You do what you want with it. But at least instill those tools, the proper tools in your sons or your daughters that, hey, this is the way, if you're going to do it, then this is a different way of going about doing it. Because saying that my daughter ain't doing this, listen, let me tell you something. My parents didn't know that I was having sex when I was at Prairie View. They did not know that I had a child or definitely impregnated somebody about a child and I was scared because I was like well they always told me to wait till I got married and so I got this child and I know I was sent to school a higher institute of learning to be the um, black excellence dream but with that life happens college ain't just you going to school you going to the dining hall and that's it no there's things that you are taught in life at college. And honestly, and I guess that's a whole, that's a separate, <laughs> that's there to be a separate topic. But um, I would say this, education may not be for everybody, but um, that experience, whether it was at a HBCU, a high institute of learning, at a PWI, or even the military. What's a PWI? <clears throat> Excuse me. So a PWI is a predominantly white institution, which is not Prairie View University. Um, but with that, um, those that information that we need, we need that prior to and during, it needs to be readily available. Um, because if we keep saying that, you know, my girl, my daughter ain't having sex, my son ain't having sex, but we we fucking. And I remember it was, and when I was at college, let me tell you something. I went to my mom and dad's house no more, so I was able to wild out on a whole different level. So um, 
And I sometimes I had three, um, two to three partners a day, you know. And I'm uncut, so that's a lot of wear and tear. That's a little too much information. <laughs> but but you know, but that's the thing is that we feel so uncomfortable talking about sex, and we shouldn't because we're all products of sex. And just like it isn't natural to use the toilet, we're trained to use the toilet. It isn't natural not to have sex. So. The fact that it is natural and we're all natural products of that, let's go ahead and reshape and modify that conversation. And if we're not able to do it with our children, even though we've all engaged in it and that's how we have children, then shift them to someone who may be able to. They have enough self-efficacy to give them the information and those right, those fundamental tools that they need. Okay. So... the, the, in the future, on the on our next uh, pillow talk part two, I want to get into. <laughs> I want I want to get into uh, uh, talking more about uh, STDs and more about prevention and more about safer sex sex uh, practices. I think we had a a, a pretty good uh, introduction to, to uh, this segment. And uh, so I really appreciate you talking to us. Oh, definitely. Listen, this is this is my passion. This is what I get paid to do. And this is a lot of the times after I clock out, I'm still in other organizations um, that disseminates information to the black community in general, whether it may be women, men, um, heterosexual women, heterosexual men, homosexual men, homosexual women, bisexual Whatever. We just need to make sure that our people, when I say our people, we say black lives matter, that means all lives matter. And if all lives matter, we need to act like it. And we need to be visible in those spaces. Um, A lot of us saying that, you know, we're quick to rally and say, hey, they killing our black young boys and things of that nature, but what are you doing to pour into, once again, that generational wealth outside of keyboard thugging? Are you mentoring these individuals? Are you, if you can't have time, are you monetarily providing to organizations that can? So we need to do a better, and this, I guess that's a whole other topic, but we need to better, do a better job specifically speaking as far as sexual health and education. Exactly. Thank you so much, Adonis. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> right. You have been spe- listening to episode 19 of Speaking the Truth with your host, Anthony Brown. Now, one thing that I noticed when I uh, have looked at my analytics, I noticed that I have people all around the world listening to this program. So I, I wanted to send you greetings. Japan, I have some weekly listeners in Japan. I see you, Japan. Uh, Sweden, I have some listeners in Sweden. France, you're pretty regular. Singapore, you listen a few times. Trinidad and Tobago. South Africa, I see you, South Africa, Australia, and India, and uh, I, I'm in uh, Texas, and I'm in Houston, Texas, and uh, uh, I see people in the surrounding Houston area. Some of the places in the United States that I see you is San Francisco, East Lansing, Los Angeles, San Diego, Ashburn, Dallas, and Austin. So I would like for you to subscribe to the show if you haven't subscribed already. And most importantly, if you listen to uh, on uh, Apple um, Podcasts or any other format that allows you to uh, rate the show and comment on the show, do so so, th- so that more people can see and enjoy this show. 
to um, listen to the show, you can listen to your on your favorite uh, place that uh, has podcasts. Of course, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Deezer, Google Play, iHeart, Radio Public, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and a app called Vado, and also on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a question about anything you would like to know about mental health, please contact me at speakingthetruth.ab at gmail.com and write, Dear Anthony, I will read your question on the, on the show and I will keep your identity uh, anonymous. And uh, also, if you have an idea about the show, you can uh, contact me at the same email address, Dear Anthony. Dot ab no speaking the truth at dot ab at gmail dot com. If you're in the Houston surrounding area and like to set up an appointment, you can find me at www.associateslifecoachingandcounseling.com dot dot com or call two eight one five four five five zero zero three for mental health counseling or life coaching. If you're outside of the Houston area, you would like some life coaching, you can reach me on Instatango. Uh, so go to Instatango. And pull up uh, Instatego, I-N-S-T-A-N-T-G-O. And um, my profile is A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-W-A-Y-N-E-B-R-O-W. So contact, go to Instatango, and you'll find me, uh, my profile, uh, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-W-A-Y-N-E-B-R-O-W, Instatango. Terrorists will apply. If you would like to support this program, you can go to Patreon and uh, support me on Patreon. You can become a, a subscriber for a little as $1 a month. So go to www.patreon.com slash speaking the truth slash creators. That's www.patreon.com slash speaking the truth slash creators. Thank you for listening to this episode of Speaking the Truth, and be well.